you know, you, you think that Reformed theology makes people less evangelistic, and that's people that all, all, everybody's argument. Why evangelize if everybody's predestined? It absolutely lit my flame for the gospel. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize the, the faith. Welcome to episode 72 of the Carpe Fide podcast, and uh, we have a very, very special guest with us today that we're excited to talk to about any of the thousands of ministries he's doing at once, which is very impressive. I mean, you thought Dan Sams was impressive last week with how much he's doing. Wait till you get to know Dale Partridge. So uh, you, you may have heard of Dale, whether it's through Reformation Seminary, maybe you've heard his Real Christianity podcast, but that is only a fraction of the things that he does. You can find him on Real Learn HQ. So with us tonight is Dale. Dale, how are you? Hey, man. I am excited to be here, chat about all things Christianity, all things uh, Reformed doctrine, all things the gospel, all things manhood, whatever Amen. you want, we're in. Amen. Well, tell us a little about yourself. Family, ministry. Uh, I mean, you, you literally have about a thousand hats. I think your, your hat rack has got to be like about three stories tall. So let, let, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself. A room full yeah, of Yeah. So uh, born and raised in Southern California, moved to uh, Orange County uh, for a period of time. Then my wife and I, we moved up to uh, Bend, Oregon. We lived there for about eight years. And uh, and then now we live in Sedona, Arizona. The reason we're here is because I got super sick in Oregon. Um, I've had some chronic illness stuff related to a variety of different things, but needed to be in a warmer, a drier climate. Uh, I was so sick about a year ago that I was having seizures and all types of different things that were going on. Uh, I'm better now. Um, when we lived in California, we were I was in the business world. So some people have been following along the journey since I was uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, and uh, the Lord called me out of the business world, um, in about, uh, 2016 and, uh, into ministry and, uh, in the business world, I, I had several years of creating several larger companies. Uh, one of them, we had a, you know, maybe 50 employees and, um, you know, was just kind of my zone. Um, I wrote several books in the business space, wrote a book called people over profit, launch your dream, save from success. Um, and then I really felt the Lord was leading me into, uh, to ministry. Um, and that was a, a major transition, uh, about 2017, we started relearn.org and that's been going now for, yeah, almost five years. And, um, it started really as a, uh, a desire to establish house churches. So I'd been a house church, uh, member for maybe almost going on nine years now and a house church pastor for about five years. Uh, and I went to seminary at Western seminary, uh, finished some graduate studies stuff there. Then I went to the master seminary and did some uh, work at the master seminary for about two years. Um, and then I uh, actually transferred over to Grace Bible Theological Seminary with uh, Jeff Johnson mm-hmm. and Owen Strand, uh, a couple guys over there. Over there in the strip and, ball. Uh, Yep, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Strip ball seminary. And, um, and so we are, uh, yeah, I'm over there, uh, getting some stuff prepped so that I can, um, go on and take on a doctorate at some point in the next year or so. And, uh, it's been a wonderful journey. Um, uh, but we've down here in Arizona now and our, our central ministries really are relearn.org, which is really kind of the mother ministry of mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, where we host our podcast, real Christianity, it's where 
we uh, publish our books uh, for you know Relearn Press. Um, it's where we do a, a variety of other ministries that products that we call them really is um, you know Ultimate Marriage and Stand in Victory, and these are just different things that we do for you know breaking free from pornography or having a biblical marriage, and and so. Um, uh, but I'm a, I'm a writer at the core. Um, I'm a writer and a preacher. And so I love to get behind the computer, love to study and uh, love to produce books. And so uh, that's kind of the nutshell. I got three kids, um, eight, uh, six and five. And uh, my wife and I've been married for uh, almost 13 years. Praise and, the Lord. Uh, yeah. And it's hot in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? But I hear it's less humid. Is that true? Oh, man. It's like 11 percent humidity. So it's just um, dry heat. Yeah, we live up in in um, we live up uh, at about four thousand feet, and so it's um, you know a little bit more temperate. You know, it doesn't really break a hundred that often, but it's just really great weather all year round. We're actually constantly requesting people and other families to move here. So if you want to move to the Sedona Cottonwood Arizona area, just get a hold of me, uh, find me somehow, and we've already had several families move we are establishing a beachhead for Christ here in this little area. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have more godly families join us. Well, it is a much freer state than New Jersey. So don't be surprised if in the next couple of years you get a, a request from us to move our entire small church family, uh, all of us out there. Just, uh, we're only going to need about, like, if you can find us about 20 houses anywhere in the area, just let us, uh, yeah, New Jersey is rather constrictive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, there, there, eventually there will be a line and we will have to move. We're just, we're just waiting for that line to be crossed. So. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So this is, uh, th- that is, that's you in a nutshell. I would say definitely in a nutshell because uh, having got to hear the podcast i would just encourage anyone just the podcast alone is is content in 30 minutes um that is like what i would say you're going to get crammed into 30 minutes it's probably in about an hour and a half to two hour class in, in a seminary he's you do a great job you do a great job of hitting a passage and really ringing it out cross-referencing it so well um and people I, you can't come away without understanding the passage that you or topic you're talking about i really appreciate that so personally, um, amen. <laughs> amen, indeed. Um, the one of the inter- most interesting things that I picked up about you is that you have taken what I I often refer to as that long journey from Arminian to Calvinist. So I think it, it's it's very fascinating. I know we have a ton of discussions. We have a private chat with a lot of a lot of listeners, and and one of the really fascinating things we do is talk about next level theology, deep, deep theological issues and, and church history issues. And I would love to hear how did that journey come about for you to go from, um, and I would say ardent, as you've communicated, an ardent Arminian to an ardent Calvinist. It's kind of the polar opposite swing. Yeah. So uh, I grew up uh, not in the church, but then came into the church through the mega church, then from the mega church to a legalistic church. Hmm. Um, and really believing that you could lose your salvation, uh, you know, having this constant fear that if I wasn't obedient enough or that I wasn't doing enough or that I wasn't maintaining my, uh, you know, my, my righteousness, that I would lose my salvation, that, that, uh, perspective. It's actually, you know, the perspective that several of the, uh, it was, uh, you know, Robbie Zacharias was kind of the leading person of that, um, I would say a noble version of Arminianism. Um, and we all know, obviously, you know, the, the terrible legacy that was left by him. Um, but the, 
him and his, I forgot his, uh, his mentor's name, uh, James White basically wrote his book, The Potter's Freedom, in rebuttal to uh, Ravi Zacharias's uh, mentor. And so I, I had said I'd also studied Wesley and Tozer, uh, Billy Graham, and some of the other people that right. really had a perspective on this mm-hmm. that was not, you know, totally out in the woods. And I was a hardline. I read another book called The Other Side of Calvinism, and that was, uh, you know, trenching me in. Um, the way that I came through, uh, it was fascinating, actually. So I actually asked my friend Jeremy Volo to endorse one of my books. And uh, Jeremy is the guy that puts on the MacArthur Center podcast over at the Master Seminary. Uh, and he, uh, I asked him to endorse one of my books. He said, man, I love this book, but you have a chapter in there that's, that's clearly anti-Calvinist, so I can't endorse it. Uh, I went down to the Master Seminary um, to go say hi to him and his wife. And we were in town and we sat there at MacArthur's church expecting MacArthur to preach, but he didn't preach. A gentleman named Mike Riccardi uh, came up there and preached. And Mike gave a, uh, a, a sermon on the doctrine of union, uh, which is you know Ephesians chapter one and not really the most fascinating topic for the average Christian. Uh, but I'm sitting there listening to this passage and I'm thinking, wow, this is really deep. Uh, and the sermon, he basically presented a, a position on... Uh, the predestination and election of God uh, being in Christ, united with Christ and secure in Christ mm. that was just insanely difficult to argue with. And awesome. so I, I went home that evening really uh, unsettled and, and went to the scriptures and was frustrated with uh, the sermon that was preached. And the Lord started to just open up my eyes just slowly over about the next two weeks um, on uh, the perspective of reformed theology and the, just changing my soteriological views. And under, I, I started researching Tulip even more. Um, and I listened to maybe like, I don't know, 40 hours of content, a lot from Piper and some stuff from Sproul um, over that period. And California to Arizona, uh, continuing on our vacation that we were on, um, I was watching the documentary Calvinist mm-hmm. um, and it was just sitting, it was basically listening to it as I was driving. And um, uh, the Lord, like in a moment, just like changed my entire, it, it was very much like scales falling off my eyes. Um, That's awesome. To be honest, um, there's there's further dimension there, but the week that I was already pastoring, it's the week I was getting back, I was teaching on John chapter three. And John chapter three, you can teach two ways, right? You can teach the Arminian way or you can teach the Calvinist way. And um, I had to make a determination if I was going to teach it uh, as a reformed um, thinker and reformed Christian. And so um, I I continued that journey. Um, I had individuals in our church that I knew if I taught it uh, from a reformed perspective, they would absolutely leave the church. Um, They know the reformed position. They hated the reformed position as I did. I used to call it a doctrine of demons. I mean, I was adamantly against reform theology. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and um, I got home and I was actually um, struggling with the, I was, I was just struggling to know if like, this is really right. Like, and I, I kept saying the prayer, Lord, I don't care how you save people. I just want to know what, you do like I want to know what's right. Like I don't care which way it is, uh, and I had that prayer, and um, 
for some reason that day I was recording an episode of Faith versus Culture for CBN. Um, we did this show with it's a conservative show and just um, was doing that every week. And I right before that show, I I um, had a sense of doom come upon me. Hmm. Um, I was reading about John Wesley's conversion and Martin Luther's conversion and that Martin Luther had a doctorate in theology before he was saved. And John Wesley was essentially a master's in theology, a deacon in the Anglican church, uh, a missionary to the Americas before he was saved. Yeah. And I, um, this is about three and a half years ago, I think, or so something like that. And I, um, I, had the sense of doom, um, almost that I was lost. Uh, and I sat, um, in prayer, uh, that day. And I, I felt the Lord was, was giving me this sense of this odd sense of peace, but this also this odd sense of doom. And, um, I, uh, basically had a self-examination moment where I go, Lord, I, you know, if I'm not saved, Lord, you know, just, renewed my repentance, yeah. uh, you know, really cast a whole different perspective on my position of trusting in Christ alone. Hmm. Um, and, uh, there was a, a moment that I, I actually opened up my Bible in the midst of a very, very, very specific prayer. Um, and I asked the, the, uh, the prayer, I'm actually going to open up real quick on my, my Bible here because, uh, I can read it to you the verse that I was reading here. So I was literally praying, Lord, I just want to know if I'm seeing this right. Like, am, like, it, am I looking at this correctly? And this is like a fervent prayer. I'm talking like on your knees, tears in your eyes, like about to change my entire theological identity. People are going to leave our church about this. Um, yeah, it's like weighty. Yeah, the people that ma- mentored me were were gonna be frustrated. Mm. Um, a whole whole big deal, and it's also a version of God that I I just was totally against for so many years. Um, and I, I prayed that prayer, and I said, Lord, I don't, you know, skip, just give me some truth in your word. And I was just like, I'm just gonna open up my Bible and start reading. And so I open up my Bible, and the first thing I read is is Matthew 13, and I'm not one of these folks that are like just ask the Lord and open up your Bible and slam your finger on a verse. Like I'm not that kind of guy. Um, and so, <laughs> but I opened up the Bible and I start reading where I was, where I was at. And it was um, the very first verse I read was verse 16. And it says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, this is actually in context with the exact question that I was asking, hmm. um, in the sense that they're asking you, like, what, is this, what does this parable mean? This, hmm. What's the purpose of these parables and the parable of the sower? And, and he's basically talking about the gospel. And it was a moment for me that I felt the Lord was just absolutely clarifying, yes, this is it. And, um, and, and that's when you became charismatic. Uh, that's no, when, I became, when I became an Anglican. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I, I, uh, I still don't know if that's when I was born again. So it's possible that that was the moment. Yeah, it's possible that that was just a grace awakening. Right. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I actually the long the further I get from it, the more I lean towards that it that I was born again then. 
Wow. Um, and it was, again, one of these moments that I have to re- recollect of Martin Luther going, you know, when the dude was born again, uh, it's not like he didn't know anything. Right. Everything just clicked. It was yep. like a zipper, like, you know, you know, um, and so that was very much what it was for me is that the scriptures took on a whole new light. I had a whole experience as anyone would experience what they say when you're, you're born again. Um, and I had a, an appreciation for grace that very few people can have because they didn't live under the heat and weight of, mm. of legalism. Yeah. Um, and so there was so much joy in the, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints um, and just assurance uh, so there's so much joy there. And there was so much joy even in the doctrine of election um, in the fact of just like God chose me when I'm no better than anybody else. Right. Um, and so there's this huge amount of grace. And so it was a pretty major deal. I actually did preach that verse on John 3, 3, uh, on the sovereignty of God and salvation. Um, we did have individuals. I mean, we had people at our church from a ministry, what's called the Berean Call. Now, if you know anything about the history of Reformed theology uh, and Arminian theology, the battle there, Berean Call was started by a guy named Dave Hunt. Dave Hunt uh, wrote a book called um, What Love Is This? And this is a major rebuttal against Reformed theology in probably, I don't know, the 90s. So big that like R.C. Sproul mentions him in several videos Mm -hmm. uh, fighting him back. And that ministry was headquartered in our town of Bend, Oregon, and the members of that ministry were in our church. Mm. So this is this was a major deal for me. Um, and uh, and yeah, those individuals left. They left, and they tried to write letters to everybody in the church to try to divide the church and to try to say that I was becoming a cult leader and that I was a heretic. And and so it, w- it was a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah, you got to be. I mean, they may have. The reason you got sick, may they may have put a hex on you. You know, that may have been. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I'm just saying. You know, uh, I'd like this is this is amazing. You're in the center of that world, and God calls you with with new eyes, with essentially new heart into into reformed theology, and your salvation now rests in grace alone through faith alone and christ alone and here you are uh in this going from this culture of legalism which actually supports your salvation to the reality that there is no thing you can do you're eternally secure simply because of christ that's got to be overwhelming uh that's just it's no it was i mean it, it has marked the ministry that the lord has given me um i i i've been able to preach to you know, almost, I mean, the modern church is Arminian. I mean, you know, there's just so many Christians that just believe that you can lose your salvation, that you can walk away from the faith, that you choose God and God doesn't choose you. And every single person on earth has equal opportunity to to become a believer. I mean, there's all these ideas that are out there. Um, after that had happened, I, I decided I'd already gone to Western Seminary, and which was, again, just kind of, a, in my opinion, not the greatest seminary in the world. I mean, there's some good teachers there and professors there, but... Um, but uh, I, I needed a shift. So I actually went, that's why I went to the master seminary. And so, uh, and Mike Riccardi actually became my professor for two of my classes and has now become a friend. And uh, I've had several lunches with him and telling him that story. And he's like, man, I had no intentionality of converting <laughs> anybody from 
you know, Arminian thinking to That's reform awesome. thinking through a, that, that, uh, that passage. And, and so the Lord just did a big work there. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And so it's been a, a long journey, but yeah, just an amazing shift in uh, theology and just amazing. You know, you, you would think that reformed theology makes people less evangelistic and that's people that all, all, everybody's argument. Why evangelize if everybody's predestined? Um, it absolutely lit my flame for the gospel. Mm. Um, I mean, I was never an evangelist. It was a funny thing. People would often ask me like, so I'm, I'm a salesman, like just in the business world. Um, like the Lord has given me the ability to communicate and sell people on things that that's just something I've had since I was a kid. My dad used to call me like when I was six, he'd be like, you're going to be a lawyer. And, um, and, uh, I, I had used that skills and, and I, the only thing I would sell, if you go back, even to my podcast, um, you're going to hear behavior modification, behavior modification. If you go way back, like before this time, it's just constant messaging of behavior modification. And not all of it's bad. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of it's actually, you know, you could read the Puritans and you go, man, if you don't know the Puritans are reformed in their soteriology, you can think that they're legalists also because they're just so high on personal holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go back and all I'm doing is talking about behavior modification. You be better. You be better. You be better. You be better. Instead of being made, made new, it's, just, it's you be better. And, um, and that position uh, of that journey um, I was thinking, why was I never talking about the gospel? I'm, I've been given this gift of salesmanship, of, of proclamation, of heralding, of communication, of persuasion, of all these things. Yet I never fought for the gospel. Well, it's because I, I really believe I just didn't understand the gospel. And right. you can't communicate what you don't understand. Right. And and so um, as soon as everything clicked, it, it was like, all, all I do is talk about the gospel. I mean, I preach the gospel <laughs> on a, on a real basis, like a couple times a week to sh- random strangers. Um, and so it's just an amazing thing when the Lord opens up your eyes, um, and, uh, can use you for his kingdom that way. Hmm. Amen. I, I have a quick, uh, kind of a random, this is uh, not planned, but definitely I was getting this. What a crazy story <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But, um, but just thinking of all all the people that we've talked to up in Canada these past couple of years, um, I mean, with with the the COVID policy uh, kind of disagreements and everything like that, do, like some churches are still closed up there and they're they're closed willingly. Um, and so, seeing seeing such a dramatic shift in you, seeing that there was so much uh, personal kind of at stake on the line in this, I mean, it, it's deeper than an ideological shift, but it is an ideological shift. Um, you knew that if you communicated um, these true things, um, that there were going to be real, real consequences um, for that. So, if someone's like on the fence, like they they feel like they know they know that uh, either opening their church or or they know that changing a stance publicly is probably the right thing to do, but they're hesitant. Like, what type of sales pitch <laughs> would you give to them to encourage them to? to follow their, their convictions as long as they're biblical and to actually take that step forward. How would you encourage that person? Yeah. So when you think about this, I think about two things that are going to drive that discussion. One is going to be the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Two is going to be my eschatology. And so, um, I have spent the last 16 months studying eschatology after seminary, right? So you already got a good chunk. Um, 
and I, I had gone from a pre-mill over the years to a-mill and then to an optimistic a-mill and then to like just kind of an average post-mill. Um, and that's where I've been. And so my, my position, the way that I would talk about that is two ways. Is I would say, one, um, you know, if God is sovereign, then nothing can happen to you that God won't, that, that God doesn't permit to occur to you. Um, and if you're in God's will, uh, that's the safest place for you. And um, God's will is that uh, the church is, is his, it's his kingdom. Um, it's his body. Um, and as a shepherd or an elder, we've been entrusted um, to, to rule over uh, those individuals in love and care uh, and to guide and shepherd those individuals. And so the idea of stopping a gathering to, to not communicate it, again, it's handing over power. That's not ours to hand over. Mm. And um, we are actually showing our submission to the state over the, our submission to Christ. We are actually showing the sovereignty of the state instead of the sovereignty of God. Mm. We believe that, that, and it's always in fear and we don't want to pay the price. We love costless Christianity. It's been allowed to, to continue to go on for so long. Um, and, and praise God for the, for the pressure and for the persecution and for the difficulty, because what it does is it is purifying. Uh, it is bringing about uh, true uh, clarity, theological clarity, uh, purified numbers in the church. Uh, it's giving us, um, uh, it's causing men to be men again, to have Amen. spines. The second thing I would say from an eschatol- uh, eschatological perspective is I just go, um, this is our world. Uh, now it's our world because Christ is going to give it to us mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, we are going to be the ones that inherit the earth, um, not the heathens. And so this is our territory. And uh, this kingdom is God's kingdom. And the, you know, Jesus says that he's going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you are contributing to the gates of hell prevailing against the church, that's a major problem, especially as an elder uh, or a shepherd. Mm-hmm. The promise was that the gates of hell will not prevail. The, the battering ram of the gospel will push through and the kingdom of God will continue to grow. And it's so ridiculous to me. I go, the church has grown from less than 1% of the population at Pentecost to approximately 20% of the world's population today. Why is that going to not, why, why would we believe that's going to stop, that that growth is going to stop? And so we have confidence that Christ is continuing to grow the church as he said he, he would, and that the gospel will continue to make his enemies his friends. And why are we losing hope in the gospel? Uh, why are we losing hope in the faithfulness um, uh, before our Lord? And so I, I just go, I, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the pulpit, get out of the leadership position. Um, and I think what's going on is that these men who do this, I go as far to say is that like, I'm very concerned if they're actually believers because my experience historically and in my own personal experience is that the Lord, the Lord's servant is always given strength to stand. Now there are circumstances and moments of failure that are lessons to teach us that we will stand eventually. But generally speaking, God's servants historically in the face of trials, persecution, death, they stand. Mm. 
And, and when I see a man who says, you know what, we're just going to kind of capitulate to the culture and to the state and we're just going to obey. And we just want, I just go, you don't like, is the Holy spirit dwelling in you? Mm. Like, where's the conviction that is seen other places? Where's the conviction of James Coates, you know, in mm. your church. And so there's something that I think that again, the, the church today is so, especially in the West is so incredibly puffed up with false believers yeah. because we've had such a generation about a hundred years of, of Christianity that has been decisionism um, that there are so many people that came to church, but never came to Christ. And there yeah. are so many, man, if you go to seminary, it depends on what seminaries you go to. I've been to three, but I'll tell you this. I've been at, through seminaries and I've realized I've asked myself, if this guy's even saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so just don't be shocked when a pastor's not saved. Don't be shocked when a seminary professor is not saved. Uh, Martin Luther was not saved before these things, right? John Wesley, you know, John Calvin has a story that's similar to this. I mean, it shouldn't shock people that Caiaphas was the guy on earth Mm -hmm. who's supposed to know the most about God. Out of every human being on earth, he is supposed to be the guy that knows more about God than anybody else, and he's the one that kills Jesus. Mm. And and so we, we just have to be really willing to look at it and go, are you falling because, is your pastor falling because he's actually not converted? Um, it was Steve Lawson who says the only thing worse than the, the not having the assurance of salvation is having the false assurance of salvation. Mm. It's people that think they're saved, but they're actually not. And, and so I just encourage people as Paul does, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Mm. And and faithful men in shepherding positions that are called by God to lead the flock, God gives those individuals spine. And w- if you have men who are in those positions that don't have spine, the logical conclusion is examine yourself. Mm. I-, I can only see the outside. I can't look at the heart. Amen. Yeah. And I- so that's a, that's that's a, a vital message I think for this time. It's so funny. I I thought of two things. One just happened you brought up Caiaphas and I was realizing um in many ways the amount of you know influence and political clout that Caiaphas had and 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 really wealth and fame that he had drawn to himself in order to become into that position at the time was so was so great yet yet his actual salvific knowledge was not there and how much we have people in these places of what we would call quote unquote honor who do not actually know Christ, and that's that's overwhelming. And then the second thing I get: this, Are you thinking of any large evangelical I'm not, publication I'm not type saying ministries? Anything? That, that... I'm not saying anything about any particular. <laughs> now, look, you got to remember, Dale's three and a half years into this. He's written for some of those organizations. You got to be careful. Okay, I've seen where some of his articles were in the past, and so. Um, and <laughs> uh, the next thing is I get this picture, and this is something that's really been bothering me. You're describing the, the church. You have godly men on the outside in the church and their families and, and wives and children pushing on the gates of hell, holding, pushing the gospel forward against the gates of hell, which are not supposed to stand. And on the other side are Christian pastors, quote unquote, Christian pastors holding up the gates of hell as they fly their rainbow flags and think they are just being man's kindness and loving the world and honoring the government, yet they are they are, they are hating Christ and they're leading people to the slaughter. Um, it's just such a horrible, horrible image. I, I think we should all be shocked. <laughs> well, it, it 
Yeah. And the other thing, guys, that I have to say is that Christ says that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Okay. So the government is on his shoulders. The idea that, that the knee will bow every person, the war has been won. This, the, the head of the serpent has been cut off the same way that David, you know, cut off Goliath. It, we, the war is won. And so when you have a pastor that's basically pretending like the war's not won, how can we be afraid if, if all authority has been given to, to Christ uh, and that anybody in government is actually put in that position because of him? And God is sovereign and he's our king. How are we uh, having any ounce of fear to not stand for the truth? One, one thing that I would say is if anybody's struggling with this, and, and we all struggle with fear, mm-hmm. uh, read Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Do something through church history. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is this. The way that you prepare for persecution, I, I, was, I so badly want to write a book called uh, Prepare to be Persecuted. Um, but this idea is that you're about um, you're about a year and a half too late. But go ahead. Yes. Okay, I'm kidding, guys. <laughs> but there, there's there's just you know even even a, with a hopeful eschatology, mm-hmm. there is periods in history where the Lord permits a persecution of the church because what does persecution do? It always grows the church, mm-hmm. right? Through always. purification and refining, and then an explosion right? every explosion. time. Explosion always, and so. Uh, and and so what we need to do is is prepare ourselves for per- persecution mm-hmm. now. It's like you don't study trials, how to suffer well through trials while you're suffering. You, but we you, you want to have that. that information before. <laughs> no, that's what everybody you know? does. Oh no, it's getting hard now. Now I should study trials. Yes. You're no, talking what about we want to do is we want to have a sound theological doctrinal comprehension so that when those things hit, mm. I mean you don't go you don't go to war and go can I take a moment to get trained? <laughs> um, no, it, it's you go train before you go to war. Yeah, amen. And, and so it's just illogical thinking. And that's why we need to be strong in our faith, strong in theological clarity, mm-hmm. so that when those things come, they just, they we're on the foundation and we're on the rock and the wind blows and we don't fall. Amen. Mm-hmm. A good word, sir. Good you have word. well, we're 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 just we're going to blow up the outline that I had created. Um, so I'm just going <laughs> to I want to dive right into uh, some some things that can get us to what you're currently working on. Since you're working on so many things, so as a as someone who would describe yourself as a church reformer, I believe is so, so one of the ways in which you describe yourself. Um, and I th- certainly would say, given the content that you produce, it would make sense to call yourself that. That's not like a, oh, you say you're no. I mean, like you're actually trying to do exactly that. Um, it's not like me trying to sell myself as a healthy individual. Yeah, no, no one's buying it. Um, so don't buy Jesse's diet and health book. That's all I'm saying. Um, he's working on it. He's making changes, but it will make you happy. Yeah. Oh gosh, boy. Um, <laughs> so you've got Reformation Seminary. You're a huge advocate for house churches and and getting men qualified to lead and lead them. So my question for you is this: uh, with your focus on that small gospel centered church community. Um, how do you think that that our current church model, which is not that right, and versus that model? So you have the small gospel-centered church community versus what I would say is a more corporatistic, attractional model of large church. Right? How many people yeah. can we fit in this building? No, yeah, that's correct. Yes, how many people, and only the ones that are giving more money, right? That's kind of the so. So you have these two models, all right. 
Um, where where do you see evangelism fitting in most effectively in these two models? Because we're going to need to really address evangelism, uh, it, particularly as you're saying persecution is coming. Yeah. So a couple things. Let me tell you more about the house church thing so the people that are listening can grasp that. And then I'll talk about how the outflow of that goes to evangelism. Perfect. Um, so the the house church model is the only biblical model. Now it's it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive in the sense that it's the only thing we see in scripture. It's not commanded in scripture, but the one another's of scripture are commanded. And the only way you can really create a culture that fulfills the one another's is to be close enough with each other that those things aren't unsafe and or abnormal. And so, you know, pray for one another, uh, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. I mean, this requires intimate relationship, you know, have a fervent love for one another, bear one another's burdens. This is, you know, you're not going to bear a burden for somebody that you don't know. All right. Before you keep going, I have to say something. I have a button that I like to press and you're, you're, you're so amazing. You should be saying so many wonderful things that I don't want you to be scared when I press it. But if you keep saying amazing things like that, you're going to hear the clapping, the clapping. Okay. Because, <laughs> because you keep saying things and I'm like, I want to press the clap button, but he's not aware of it. And I don't want to scare him while I say, <laughs> but you keep this, you keep saying things. I'm like, this is what we say all the time. This is correct. Uh, so anyway, I'm sorry. Just wanted you to know that button existed. Yeah, so if no, you hear I, clapping, I, I like the button. Okay. And, it's and, and uh, keep it up. It's coming. I think it's, wor- I think it's worthy because the the biblical model is closeness. I mean, Jesus offered it in in his twelve uh, apostles, and the fact that he uh, he is going for you know the current church is ten feet wide and one inch deep, mm. versus the the biblical model is is one feet wide and ten feet deep. Yeah. And and so uh, what I see in I when I see in the early church when I see in uh, the book of Acts, uh, I see this idea of um, deep intentional intimacy. I see um, much more of a dialogue than a monologue. Uh, I see much more of committed centric versus visitor centric. I see much more um, uh, of a, a community that is, is richly interdependent uh, not living autonomously or individualistic, but covenantly committed to one another and dependable for one another. Um, I also think I argue for the for the actual building to be a home too, and here's why. Um, I think the home is the center of the universe, in the sense that uh, it is the place that God does all of His work it begins in the fact that uh, marriage and children and the children and that that produces into the church and the church produces into the world. It's, it really becomes this element of, of the home, you, you know, try to have the church without the home. You know, it's the realities that the home and the family, all of that is so essential to God's mission of multiplication of kingdom growth. And so when you think about the home, the home is where you get to witness that type of closeness and intimacy uh, physically, I mean, where do you want to share about your miscarriage and your mom's, uh, you know, uh, surgery for cancer? Do you want to do that on a, on a, in a building, in a, in a, in a chair that is, seems like with commercial carpet, or do you want to do that on a couch, uh, in someone's home with a handful of individuals that you're committed to and know about? And Amen. so there, there's something about the house as well as like 
people want to see what your closets look like and what your kids' bedrooms look like and the order and and of your house. And and I think there's more discipleship caught inside of a home than anywhere else. And people that don't want people in your home is a very unchristian reality. And so uh, getting people in your home on a regular basis uh, and letting them stay as if it's their home, um, that again produces uh, and fabricates a community that is much different then what you have is like, hey, you know what? Like, so I've even heard people that do house churches that have a back building, and I go, don't use the back building. <laughs> like, get get them into your house. Um, it's not that because the house is the most intimate place for a human's life, and 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 when you let people into that environment, it creates a level of connection and closeness that's difficult to achieve in a in a third party building. And yes, so now yes. the buildings aren't bad. I, I don't think that I, I don't think that they're bad. I think that they're they're not unbiblical. I, I think they're extra biblical, but they're unbiblical. They're the, not unbiblical. And so, um, so I, I, I love the traditional church. I think that the Lord is absolutely doing wonderful things in the traditional church. I have seen in my experience that the most fruitful expression pound for pound has been achieved in a biblical house church. Now, when I say house church, I don't mean, you know, some cult like, uh, heresy factory that most people think of when you when you think about a house church, most house churches are glorified Bible studies at best. And um, they're usually from nonconformist church elitists uh, that leave and think that they're going to do it the best way or the right way. It's really bad. Um, and so it sounds like you're speaking bit, from having sat in something like that. I just, I mean, <laughs> been there, done that. And so, <laughs> yeah. So, so the biblical house church is really it's elders and deacons and, and um and membership and and gender roles and expository preaching and giving and church discipline and all the things that are in a normal biblical church it's just done in a house and the house really does prevent um growth in the sense that it doesn't i'm going to say size is the enemy of intimacy uh human beings are not made to be close with more than about 10 to 15 people it's just for example, like if you think about it right now, how many people would you just drop your kids off at their house for them to stay the night at? Like most families would be like maybe two families that I trust that much, like maybe three, maybe like definitely not eight. <laughs> um, and, and the reality is, is that th- that just shows how close we can, we, we can only get really close. It may just show how bad of a parent you are. You keep talking. Like, I mean, oh, any, any family. I mean, then you're like, uh, well, maybe not like, anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's this, the, the truth is, is that, that we're only made for a handful of people. Uh, and, and so when you, when you finally create a church expression that, that really limits its growth to the size of the building, um, you start to see a level of closeness that very few people in the West have ever experienced. Mm. Um, and now this doesn't mean that you stay small. No, you multiply and you multiply mm-hmm. into another house and you raise up other elders and you, it's just a beautiful multiple. We have to think, we have to be reminded when was the most explosive fruitful uh, time of church history. Amen. It's the first couple hundred years of the church. Now I go one phrase that we often use about what we do is I go, uh, early church passion, reformation doctrine, early church passion, reformation doctrine. When you combine the, the early church, the passion, the willing to basically die for your faith with the reformation doctrines uh, of the reformation. I mean, this is, this is the combo that is untouchable. Um, and mm. so when we have a very raw, real Christianity in the house church, I mean, you're, 
you know, it's just walking out the gospel in everyday life. It's bearing one another's burdens. It's preaching the gospel to individuals, discipling those individuals, bringing them to church, not outsourcing your evangelism. It's baptizing people in rivers. It's, it's getting out and having deep discussions, opening your house to drug addicts. It's, it's a very big, real, raw, you look at the book of Acts and you look at your life and they're almost the same. And that's, that's the key thing is that most Christians look at their Bibles and they go, okay, I'm reading my Bible. I'm looking at Christianity and I'm looking at my life experience on Sunday and it's not the same. Hmm. And so, so that Christianity, <laughs> that's people so, are craving. So true. And so it's just missional Christianity where everybody's an evangelist and everybody's part of the great commission. and Everybody's subduing evil in their life and everybody's influencing and getting involved and it's turning into homeschool groups and it's turning into Bible studies and men's groups. So that's the kind of Christianity that we are trying to produce through Reformation Seminary and through Reformation Fellowship. And, Amen. And so I got to stop talking. No, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everything you're saying is phenomenal. I, I want to point to the fact, another really important fact, when you say to be prepared for persecution, the best way for the church to be prepared for persecution is to be able to hit uh, hit the underground running. I, li- I like that phrase. It, it, you're hitting the underground running, which means into the church homes, right? It, into the church home structure. Boom. We haven't lost community. We've become smaller. We've become more flexible. Um, and, and, and even if you, so this, this goes, even if you're a large church, you need to be hearing this and saying, uh, how can we be a large church yet flip the switch to immediately become 60 house churches or, or 20 or 10 or whatever, whatever the size is, you have to be able to understand that in the face of persecution, the cathedral is not the place that stands against, against societal wide persecution. The home is what stands. I feel like you're just shouting C.R. Wiley's book right now, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> on the home. I think that's what yes. you're doing. I, I fully agree. Yeah. With it. <laughs> but at some point, I do have to, we do have to try to, I really want to get to the newest thing you're doing um, because I think it's, it's so fascinating and it becomes like a serious throwback Thursday for me. So we're all well acquainted with the idea of, no, really. I mean, it, but everything, this is what's so cool about it. I was, I think we were talking the other day, Jesse, you and I, we do that. We do that Sometimes. from time to time. We were talking yes. about retro and what retro is. And the whole idea of what retro is is taking something that was was cool and even maybe nostalgic of the past um, and actually taking it and making it better. Retro is not the same as it was before. It's similar to, yet done better. Um, and that was simply talking about design work. So you have uh, this huge new push, which is really fascinating to take um, the tract ministry out of the significantly less personal, uh, you know, looks like a million dollar bill scenario that you leave on the restaurant table without any actual money. <laughs> and ironically taking it. <laughs> don't, that's so sad. So, no tip. Here's so your million sad. dollar. All right. So you have the idea of taking that and putting the, the gospel, which, which literally never changes. The good news of Christ is always the same. And putting it into a format that is carried into the home and then resourced. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's a way for, for you to communicate this mail the gospel. Um, I'm calling yes. it an initiative, but I know it's it, mail the gospel is the full name. But I like to call it the mail the gospel, mail the gospel initiative because it sounds way more militaristic and, and kind of. There you go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is good. I mean, so I'm sitting here. Again, as an entrepreneur, God designed me just, he made me as an entrepreneur. I, I, I'm, I'm still an entrepreneur. I'm just 
doing it for the kingdom in the sense that that's my focus now. Every church um, planner is an entrepreneur that likes to feel failure every all the time. I think that's <laughs> because you're constantly yeah. teaching people <laughs> the same thing. Why aren't they listening to the gospel? It's right here. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. You're so an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I'm an entrepreneur and um, I'm sitting there. Okay. Entrepreneurs solve problems. Now there's only certain problems that are worth solving. And there's specifically a type of problem that's absolutely worth solving. And the way you determine those best problems to solve is to find out if they are urgent, required, and painful. Okay, those are the best problems to solve if you're solving problems. If it's not urgent, it's not required, and it's not painful, it's a bad problem to solve. Um, now, the reason that you know antidepressants or whatever solve a huge are so successful. Now, I'm not endorsing them, but the reality is is that they're successful. Why? Because they're attempting to solve problems that are urgent, required, and painful. Uh, toilet paper does the same thing. Amen. Right? Um, Light and bulbs. So we, yeah. So <laughs> urgent, required, and painful problems. And so I'm sitting there thinking about the gospel, and I'm going, why don't Christians share the gospel? I was looking at the stats, and it's somewhere between 3 and 10%. To be honest, I think it's probably more like 3%. 3% of Christians share the gospel with one person per year. Okay. Ugh. So uh, meaning not many Christians in the church, in the West specifically, share the gospel. And there's three reasons why they don't share the gospel. They don't share the gospel because of the fear of man. They're afraid to get rejected. Number two uh, is they uh, they fear um, they won't have the ability to eloquently present the gospel. They're not capable of understanding it accurately and are prepared and trained to do so, uh, which is true because the church doesn't train people to do that well. Number three is um, that we are afraid of or intimidated by the apologetic questions that come as a result of the gospel. And so those are the three reasons you layer them out on top of each other, like fear, uh, you know, your kind of lack of confidence of being able to share and worry about the questions that are coming. And that gives a pretty thick reason to not share the gospel. And that's why a lot of people don't do it. The average Christian doesn't share the gospel. Now people talk about Jesus, people talk about the Bible, people talk about scripture, but they don't actually give a bad news, good news gospel, you know, like a real legitimate gospel presentation that doesn't happen that often they're like oh i'm just not an evangelist or whatever it may be but they don't share the gospel and i was going why because if you walk into a church and you go hey so there's 500 people there and you go hey uh how many of you guys want to share the gospel you're going to have almost every single person in that room raise their hand i want to share the gospel i just don't and i'm thinking what is in the way and we talked about those three reasons that's in the way so how do we remove those barriers for people to share the gospel. That's the problem solving functionality that I'm going for because the gospel is urgent. It's required. And for many Christians in the church, it's painful. Mm. So I'm going, okay, how do we solve this problem? And so, uh, we, a couple of things is, yeah, the tract ministry has become somewhat of a solution for that issue. Uh, I can give these people a track, have a conversation with them. Now, the problem is that most tracks again are either too long or too short. They're usually terribly designed. I go, how do you say that this is the most important message on earth, yet you deliver it on the crappiest paper you could find? Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's just one of those things that I just go, it's got to be beautiful because it's got to be representative of the message. Um, it's the reason that Bible printers really make nice Bibles, right? It's the word of God. It's something to be cherished. Now, it doesn't have to be, but if we can, let's do it. Um, you're speaking to Jesse's sense, addiction right now. That's yes. what you're doing. I have an itch now. Yes, he didn't say, he's going to go out and buy another Bible. Way to go. All right. Yeah, oh, I, I'm a Bible. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy that has way too many Bibles. So, um, so we thought, all right, let's create a, let's create a, a ministry um, that's called mailthegospel.org. And mail the gospel essentially is 
uh, a place where we, we, we've written three beautifully designed, theologically accurate, theologically reviewed tracks. And these tracks are uh, what I would say experientially relevant, meaning that we have a primary gospel track that's just a re- regular straight gospel message. We have one that's uh, for someone that may be struggling with anxiety, depression, worry. Um, we have one that's someone that's struggling with with um, trials, sickness, grieving. Hmm. And so, but they have the same core of all three of them. Now, what you would do is you go to the website, you enter your information, you say, you choose a tract. Now, you would choose these tracts. These tracts are not, they're, they're books. They're little booklets. They're about 50 pages long and they are, they can be read in about eight to 14 minutes, somewhere around there, depending on how fast you read. Now, the other thing is that most tracks are this like nameless, uh, very disconnected, detached proclamation of the gospel. It's like Accurate. a bunch of scriptures, you know? And, and so what we wanted to do is create the, the, historically, the way that people are converted is through preaching. Um, and so we wanted to create gospel tracks that were basically miniature sermons. And so these tracks are, um, are, sermons that have been really crafted to be solid tracks and reviewed by our theological advisory board, which has several guys on it that are, are, um, uh, you know, several of them have doctorates in theology and we, we fine tuned these tracks to be very effective for evangelistic ministry because they are extremely clear and they're also beautiful. They're beautifully designed. I mean, like, you know, uh, wonderful uh, cover stock that we put together on them. Um, they're four by six. They're not that big. They fit in the palm of your hand. They're you know gold foils on the cover. I mean, it's a beautiful little track. You want to receive it. You want to send it to somebody. I just want to so say, we can confirm this. We have visually seen it. We have watched prom- promotions for it. It is literally beautiful. Like it looks like it, something you want to read. It's like we all know you think Dale was a liar, but you know, <laughs> I just wanted to know. It's not like he's not trying to oversell it to you. This is an actual thing that's actually happening. It's like when you get the really nice edition of Lord of the Rings and you know it's special. Like yes. it's like, oh, this is a quality. Whatever this is, this is quality. All right, yes, or, or when you buy a Skylar Bible. Yes, and you go, yes. yeah, this yeah. is a really nice Bible. Yeah, exactly. And so, so th- this is something we 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 set out to do. We we raised um, through our donors about $60,000 for this project. We had uh, a gentleman, a friend of mine, who is one of the greatest web designers, works for Google and Nest and different programs. And, and he, he designed the website. It's, it's gorgeous. It's simple to use. It's clear, um, a great user experience. You go to the website, you enter your information, you choose your track, and then you can enter the mailing address of anybody you want. And you can mail them a copy of the gospel. Now you could send it to them anonymously or personalized. And the best thing about that is that everybody in their life has somebody that they've already shared the gospel with, but if you send it to them, they're going to throw it in the trash just because it's from you. Um, and, and so it's one of these things that you can, you can send it anonymously to your brother-in-law who absolutely despises you and is living a, you know, homosexual lifestyle or whatever it may be that is just going to be offended by you even sending this to them. You could send it to them anonymously. And I think there's lots of us out there in the church that have situations like that. Now, the personalized function is what we prefer people to use because we want them to not, we don't want the mailing the gospel to take the place of evangelism. We want them it to be a tool and a resource to nurture evangelism. Not everybody can get in touch with every single individual that they want to share the gospel with. However, now you can just mail the gospel to these individuals, including your neighbors and your friends and your family or your boss 
or whatever, your governor, whatever you want to do, you can mail them the gospel. Mm. You can also include a Bible. So we have added a functionality. You can include an entire ESV Bible. We've got them for a really affordable rate because Crossway made a deal with us um, to basically uh, support us that way. You could send them a gospel of John for a little bit cheaper and, um, and you could send them into a really beautiful package and you can write that personal personalized note. And so the best thing about it is at the end of the gospel tracks, it doesn't just leave people high and dry. It actually gives them steps to say, Hey, if these, if these people actually receive Christ or want more information, they can go to our website. Uh, there's a QR code, there's a link, there's all things they can go to and they can enter their information. They can get a Bible. If they didn't receive one, um, they can get connected with a church, a local church. We put a handful of faithful, trusted church finders that are available there. So people can go there and find a local church to be a part of. Um, and so there's more to be done here, but the big thing, our mission is mail the gospel to millions. And so we need people to do that. We need people to, you can go to the website and read the entire track. So they're available to read. So you know what you're sending people. Um, and they're cross-denominational in the sense that they're not Presbyterian or Reformed Baptists or post-mill or pre-mill Next or steps. whatever. Baptize your babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, exactly. No. Welcome them into the covenant family. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what, it's, what just, are the it's just points. the gospel. Um, and so uh, anyways, we're, we're excited about it. And that's the, that's the newest project that relearn.org is, is putting on. Uh, Good. You you looked like you wanted to say something. I was just going to say that sounds really exciting and uh, definitely way better than what it sounded like in my head when I read the email. <laughs> yeah. So I and I this is one of the things like immediately Jesse knew that I had just all right. So this is this is the context. Are you about to throw me under the bus? No, no. Okay. I'm gonna. I just want Dale to know this is the context. We get the, we get your message right now. I had just seen. And really started to dive into, and I'm, I don't know. You might, you're probably aware of this. You, you're pretty hip on what's actually happening, so, <laughs> which is a compliment. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware. Dave Ramsey spoke at um, over Easter. He spoke at what what mega church did he speak? Fer- Furtick Church. Okay, so yes, Furtick, the global church, whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, and he got up there and he did his Furtick thing, and <laughs> and he actually gave this story about a. <laughs> about gospel tracks. I don't know if you're aware of this. He talked no. about, oh, well, he stood up there and said, I'm not even going to do the story, but either way, the story was basically you're supposed to go in on Easter morning to a, a waffle house, a chain restaurant that was globe, that's national. Go up to the counter, order a cup of coffee, leave a couple hundred dollars, go back into the car, tell your kids, watch what the Lord does. And <laughs> so the money was to lead to the gospel. That's fine. Not fine. That's what he said. And then there were people on other side saying the tract leads to the gospel. So you go and order a cup of coffee, you leave a tract. And I'm looking at all these comments on all these different people sharing this video out. It became very viral. And I'm looking at these, all the comments like are like, money doesn't lead to the gospel. You should leave a tract. And I'm like, wait a second. Just to be clear, I've read a lot of tracts in my time. And I'm sorry. There's a lot of things that need to lead Okay, to that. One, have you had a personal conversation with your server? Two, yeah. did you pray over your meal? And three, were you incredibly generous with the trip, your tip? Because leaving that tract is not the you giving the gospel. Okay? It could be you showing that woman everything about why no one should ever interact with a Christian. <laughs> and and your kids are yelling and screaming. They're throwing crud everywhere. You didn't pray over your meal. You're not being loving or caring for her in any way. You don't even know her name. You're yelling, hey, you, can you, you get me some paper towels over here? You're 
So all well, of this. Hold, hold on, my kids make a mess, but it's important to clean up. That's what I'm saying. You yeah, care okay. for her. <laughs> so I, anyway, I, I, this is what happened. So now I'm trying to literally both like say one. You people with the money know that doesn't lead to the gospel. Two, yes, be generous. You people with the tract know that isn't just the gospel. Two, you need to be engaged with the with the people in order for it to be intimate. I'm I'm literally having I'm going into these comments and I'm trying to do both sides and say neither is all. You have to actually do both things. And then you you message us and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, he wants to come on here with a tract ministry, doesn't he? And then I'm watching the videos and I'm looking at the promos and I'm like, okay. I know the founding fathers would print their sermons. I know that during the beginning of this nation, one some of the most circulated resources were sermons read every Sunday by men who actually, you know, read their Bibles and believed it, unlike churches today. And they they printed them and then circulated them. And I'm looking at these tracks and I'm like, that's very these tracks are not like here's your three steps, pray this prayer, you're saved now. Good luck. <laughs> these these tracks are deep. They're they're like, and I I touched. I look at them. I'm like, I want to touch that tract. I kind of want to see what that feels like and open it up. And and then I'm like, wait, you're resourcing it. Where does this person live? Where are the ch- what churches are in their area? What kind of pastors are in their area? Are there people available to answer their questions? And I'm like, okay, this is this is what this is what we should have been doing personally with tracks back when we were giving leaving them at at the coffee tables and restaurants. And now we're sending it from one person who loves another person into that person's home. Yes. Which is one already much better. I, yeah, I just, because if you send, if you send me an email, it's going to my spam box. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and so it's one of these things that you just go, yeah, th- I think the vast majority of the people that are going to use mail, the gospel are going to be sending it to people like that. They, you know, friends from high school that they haven't talked to for 20 years, but they found each other on Facebook or Instagram and they go, Hey man, how you doing? All oh, things are well, you know, I hop on a phone call talking to you. Hey, can I, I want to mail you something like there's a, there's a relationship established and there's a conversation that's going to occur after. Hmm. Um, and so it's not a full checkout. It's a nurturing toward evangelism. Um, and, and it's getting them engaged because it, there's steps to take it to go from, uh, you know, average Christian who just was converted to, you know, street preacher, right? Like it's just, there's, there's many steps in between. And so this becomes one, a, a template of, of how to preach the gospel. Um, and, and that's going to be our ministry. I mean, even when you click th- mail the gospel, which is the last button on the checkout process, um, uh, soon within a couple of months of us, we're doing a whole thing right when you land there on the thank you page, it's immediate gospel training. Because we have people that we know now are sharing the gospel. Now it's like, thank you for sharing the gospel. The next step is we want to teach you how to do this without mm. these tracks. Or Perfect. buy some tracks, keep them in your car, but here's the gospel track. And sometimes this is this is real. If you guys, if you're listening right now and you do preach the gospel, you know this is real. What happens is that you're in a situation where you preach the gospel and you don't have enough time. Um, and I've done this with my barber several times. Uh, I go to different barber shops every time I get a haircut so I can preach the gospel to different people. Um, and so that's a risky proposition, my friend. I just want to I say know. that right now. I mean, my hair, my hair doesn't look great right now. So, <laughs> um, and so, um, but I, I, I often don't have enough time because it takes a while to get into the conversation. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have a conversation with them and talk to them about that, ask them about their, you know, and I'll end up sitting in that chair for longer than normal anyways. But I have these tracks here and I often leave them one 
Hey, it was good talking to you. I, I wish I had more time with you. And I know you got your next appointment here, but hey, take a, take a read at this. Uh, my card's in there. If you want to chat with me anytime, you know, let me know. And I, I've done that with, you know, four or five different uh, barbers before. And uh, I actually got an email back from one of them. Hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's just a, it becomes a tool to keep in your car, to keep in your bag. And, and so it's more than just mailing it. It's having this resource that's, it's available for you. That's phenomenal. I, that was the biggest thing I was, I was encouraged by was, was one, it became more personal. It forced that opportunity Two, the opportunity for generosity was there was because one, you, you, you're forcing someone to actually take the time and set this up to send it to someone, which meant it was automatically, it's already a beautiful gift as well, but then that you could send a Bible that you could send a note this whole of this became something like, Hey, I care about you and I want you to have this. And and then three, there was this connection to a church, a community to ask questions. Um, maybe I missed it, but the fourth idea of connecting people to the resources of now being able to share the gospel. I mean, they're all, all of these are absolutely wonderful steps that for me, take this throwback Thursday idea of the tract and actually begin to redeem it into, into the great commission, right? That idea that we actually have to go and preach the gospel. It has to be a personal connection. It has to be us actually doing something with the word. Um, and that that's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely awesome. We have one, I just want to say we've taken a lot of your time. Um, and so as busy as you are, um, we are super thankful. Wait, for I, this. I have a corny oh. pun. I, I've been, I've been holding it for, <laughs> please, please. What we really pun. need right now is a corny pun. Go yeah, for it. Yeah. 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 So really, I, I mean, as we were talking about this, you brought up retro <laughs> earlier and I mean, I, I feel like what, I feel like what this idea that, that Dale is implementing I feel like it's it's basically like like you he, what he did was he he relearned retro, right? <laughs> you know? He he, he took it. Oh my god. That's all I got. That's, that's my contribution. What I want <laughs> what I want to do before we go again is just to give you an opportunity, Dale. That's trademarked um, if you use when, it in any promotional, you know, stuff. This is this is how you, this is how you make sure you, you're actually connecting people to the resource. That is not trademarked. Stop. <laughs> it will be. Wait, no, when, when, when does mailthegospel.org launch? When can I begin this, this journey to enter into this, this type of ministry? June 20th, 2022. June. Oh my gosh. You so mean we're, we're just 16 days away. from today. I will be able to do this. Yes. That is phenomenal because I need it to be within three weeks or else I forget things. So that is perfect. Additionally, I, I hate waiting for things. So yes, Jesse is Jesse needs his things right away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the people that pay extra for the immediate shipping That's Jesse. Uh, yep. Every time uh, so, this is phenomenal. So uh, June 20th this month. So just in case you're, you're not, you're not catching it. It's 16 days from today. You can actually go to mail the and find these beautiful resources and actually send them to someone who you maybe have had a conversation or haven't gotten all the way to the gospel with. It's a beautiful gift. Um, where else, again, where can where can our listeners actually connect with you? So whether that be a particular social media you prefer, um, we know that relearn.org exists there, so you can find him at, I'll just say, relearnhq on Instagram. But what else, what other what other ways can they connect with you? Yeah, we're, we're basically... Um you know, relearn, um, or, uh, myself, Dale Partridge on any social media platform. I'm probably posting most, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Twitter's a so godless I, place, Dale. It's a godless <laughs> place. I know. I've Dale, go- 
I'm going on your profile, right? And you're sharing all this stuff. And you know, you know it's a godless place. And they're oh. just judging you, thanks to your wife's wonderful article written in 2015, her blog. They're just, the people that come on your, your posts are not oh, nice. Brutal. brutal. Yeah, well, Twitter, Twitter has been a, a refining of those individuals that follow me because they follow me for so many, you know, the business world or whatever it might right. be. Right. Uh, Instagram is where, where, you know, my army is mostly yes. at. And so Instagram. that's been a, a great place, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. And you know, we're, we're trying to go anywhere where social media is because we want to make sure the gospel gets out. And, uh, and then, yeah, my podcast, real Christianity. Um, you can listen on Apple, Google, Spotify. Um, so well, I don't know. If, I certainly don't know if Dale has, had, has has ever wants to speak to us again, but I still have some questions I haven't gotten to ask him. So hopefully we can uh, get him on again at some point uh, because I do have some questions from his podcast. I'd also love to talk about his new book, uh, uh, The Manliness of Christ. It, it's phenomenal. Um, I just want to tell you, I don't know if you knew this, that title was, was used for a, another publication in the, the 1800s. 1830s. There you go. You do know. Okay. I just didn't know if you knew that. Um, by yeah. a guy who was actually relatively socialist that wanted to start public education. I don't know if you knew that, that too. Yeah. 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 I thought, I thought my, my goal is just to basically, <laughs> uh, you know, reclaim it and own it. Amen. I love this. I I love redemption, baby. I love redemption. Um, So I have questions about that, but, uh, but this has been a ton of fun and a a great opportunity to get to know, to know you. And we are very thankful uh, for God bringing you to this point and, and all the hats you wear. Uh, So if you, if you're interested, by the way, in, in starting a, a, a house church, you can jump on reformation, reformation seminary, search it anywhere. You will get to, uh, the right place. You can go to relearn to get there through that as well. Uh, and definitely check out his podcast. You will not be disappointed. You will be edified in learning the scriptures. So this is awesome, Dale. We very much thank you for this time. At the end of every Carpe Fide podcast, we'd like to tell you that we hope you seize the faith.